Over the next few weeks, we're going to hear some stories about Moses. Today's comes from Exodus chapter 14, but before we start, let me set the scene for us. We heard last year about Joseph ending up saving the nation of Egypt from famine, and in return, Egypt opened their borders to all 12 brothers and let them come and live where there was food. This went so well for Joseph's family, they were now multiplying and became extremely powerful. Eventually, a new king rose up who didn't know the Joseph story and could see that his own people were going to be overtaken. So he decided that all Hebrew people were now going to be slaves and they would kill any Hebrew babies as a way to control the population. One of these boys, Moses, managed to live and actually grew up as an upper-class fella as the adopted grandson of none other than the Pharaoh himself. Later on, Moses has an amazing encounter with God, that's the burning bush story, and somehow manages to get on a first-name basis with the creator of the universe. From there, you've heard that story about the plagues, and eventually, Pharaoh says to Moses, take your Hebrew people and get out of Egypt. And so now we pick up the story where Moses, who now hears directly from the Lord, is leading his people away from Egypt. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to set up camp near the sea, the dumbest place to camp, so that Pharaoh thinks you're lost and trapped. I'm going to influence Pharaoh's heart, so even though he ended up letting you go, he'll end up chasing after you. I've planned this in order to show everyone that I'm real, so the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped next to the sea, just like they were told. Now when word reached the palace that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his offsiders changed their minds. Hang on a minute, what the heck have we done here letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh fired up Egypt's best Ferrari chariots and also gathered up all the lesser Corolla chariots, chock full of their drivers, pit crews, guns and ammo, and chased after the people of Israel who had left with the odd middle finger raised in defiance. Seeing the dust of this chariot army coming toward them, the people of Israel panicked, as anyone would facing impending doom, and they cried out to the Lord. They basically chucked a big hissy fit and said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? As if they had no choice in the matter. They even tried on the old, told you so, by saying, didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. Is it not better to be a slave in Egypt than pushing up daisies in the wilderness? But Moses, who had been practicing hearing from the Lord over a number of years now, told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians that you see before you will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Then the Lord said to Moses, It's time. Get the people moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand towards the sea. Divide the water so the people can walk through on dry ground. The hard-hearted Egyptians will charge in after you and my greatness will be displayed through what will happen to Pharaoh, his troops, his chariots and his chariot drivers. And God reiterates that this is 
so the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Now it seems that things start to get a bit weird in this next part of the story. Next, the pillar of cloud that had been leading the people of Israel moved to the back of the camp, between the Egyptians and the Israelites. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not engage each other. When it was time, Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the sea with walls of water on each side. And of course, the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots and drivers, chased them in. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making them hard to control. And the Egyptians shouted, The Lord is fighting for them, against us. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, Raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians, their chariots and their drivers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea. And yep, the water rushed back to its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape but the Lord swept them into the sea. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites, not a single one survived. So that's the story of how the Lord rescued Israel from the tyranny of the Egyptians that day. And they witnessed the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the beach. So the moral of this part of the story, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe. They put their faith in the Lord and his servant Moses. That faith in God and Moses was something that they're going to really need as the story progresses. But you'll have to wait for next week's chapter to find out why. See you next week. Well, good morning. Thanks, Peter, for reading that to us. The the people of Israel certainly were in uncertain times. It was a, it was a, a pretty crazy story. I was thinking about the idea of uncertainty. Uh, Did you know that our brains interpret uncertainty as danger? If our brain doesn't know what's around the corner, it actually interprets this danger and we need to go into survival mode. Our brain actually will often assume the worst. We're hardwired to overestimate the danger and underestimate our capacity. And to be able to change that is, is really complicated. My three boys play this out beautifully Every afternoon, maybe between three and four o'clock, when they actually, something inside of them begins to stir and they begin to wonder about the food security in their lives and they come to me and say, what's for dinner? They're hardwired to actually wonder, where's our food coming from? What's going to happen? And it happens every afternoon and every afternoon I say, I don't know, you might be cooking it yourself and they don't appreciate that response. Other questions that we might uh, ask in uncertain times are things like, you know, can I do this? Can we afford it? Will I make it? Is it going to work out? Or questions in times like we're in at the moment with COVID and restrictions and and the uncertainty around us, we might ask things like, when's this going to end? What's going to happen next? What's happening with the numbers? Is my birthday going to be a lockdown birthday? When am I going to see people again? What's going to happen next? And maybe even that bigger statement of, if, if only I knew, if, if, if I just knew, it's the not knowing 
that's doing my head in. Uh, this whole idea of uncertainty is something I want to think about a little bit today. And we're looking at this topic of a journey of trust. And as Troy mentioned before, we're going to spend a number of weeks looking at this topic and thinking about what does it mean to embark upon a journey of trust, particularly in a season like one that we're in right now where there's a lot of uncertainty. What does it mean to trust God? We're looking at the book of Exodus. So you might want to follow along. You might actually want to have a look at some of the movies that are out there um, or open up your Bible and have a read through the story over the next couple of weeks and follow along with us. But we're looking at the people of God and they've been where they are in Egypt for 400 years. Because of the famine that had happened, they'd gone there and they were in slavery for 400 years under Pharaoh. And God raises up a leader and that leader is Moses. And the whole story, as it emerges, Moses goes to Pharaoh and the actual initial ask from Moses to Pharaoh was, let us go for three days. He just asked for a three-day hiatus out into the wilderness so that they could actually just worship their God, so they could offer sacrifices and do what they needed to do, and then come back. But of course, Pharaoh said no. And then the story unfolds with this um, toing and froing of Moses saying, let my people go, and, and Pharaoh saying no, and God sending a plague, and, and let my people go, and no, and a plague, and it, and it repeats and it repeats. And then eventually, at great cost... Pharaoh eventually says, fine, go. And they go. And the story today looks at that that pivotal moment when they begin to go and what happens. Um, And there's three things that I want us to learn from what they experienced in their moment of being released and asked to go and go out into the wilderness and have their time in the wilderness. The wilderness is a bit of a reoccurring theme in the Bible. It's talked about a lot and a lot of really interesting things happen there. Um, Really interesting experiences happen there. It's a place where where needs are much more um, poignant and important and acute. Things like food and water and safety and shelter, they're much more acute in the wilderness. But also the likelihood of um, amazing experiences and amazing learnings and encounters with God happen in a wilderness space too. So the wilderness is a bit like an in-between space. Um, So, uh, you know, they've left this city but they haven't entered the walls of the next city. They're in an in-between space, perhaps a liminal space. Uh, like if I were to leave one room, but I'm just in the door jam and I haven't entered the next room, that little space in between, um, that transition space. And it might not be an actual physical space. It might be um, a space in time as well. So like if you're a grade six and you finish grade six, but it's over the summer and you haven't quite become a high schooler yet, you're in that in-between space. Or perhaps you're engaged, but you're not yet married. Or perhaps you've left a job, but you haven't started the next job. That in-between space can be a bit of a wilderness time. And it's a really rich opportunity kind of time. So I've got three things I want to notice from the, the people of Israel and their time in the wilderness as they entered that season. The first thing I want to notice is that they didn't wait for the bread to rise. They didn't wait for the bread to arise. So in Exodus 12:34, it says this. Just after Pharaoh had said fine go. So that the people took their dough before it was leavened and their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. They didn't even wait for the bread to rise. Now, in my home, 
the level of panic around food, because I've got three teenage boys, this, would, this wouldn't have been heard of. They would have wanted the bread to have been risen and baked before we actually set out. What mama leaves home without waiting for the bread to rise? The one that needs to leave in a hurry, the one that recognises the urgency of the moment. That, that where they need to be is is away from where they are. They need to be out there and they need to go immediately and they need to leave behind whatever it is that they need to leave behind. And if that means grabbing the unrisen dough and heading off, then that's what they did. The second thing I want us to notice is that they went the long way. Exodus thirteen seventeen says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer. God knew there was a shorter way. And they knew that God knew there was a shorter way. It could have been a three-day journey, but it wasn't. It was a long journey. And the reason is because God knew that if they went via the short way, the people might panic and turn back. God knew that the Philistine army was up there and he didn't want the people to get the jitters and wonder what was going to happen. He took them the long way, but I think there's another reason why he took them the long way as well. I think he wanted to teach them something. He wanted to recreate them. He wanted to embed something so deeply in their bones, in their psyche, in their DNA as to who they were as a people. He knew it wasn't a three-day lesson. He wanted them to learn this over the course of time. They went the long way. So they didn't wait for their bread to rise. They went the long way. And the third thing is panic set in. Peter, in his retelling of it, talked about... Um, I, I'm not too sure about the Ferraris and the Corolla chariots, but there was a moment where Pharaoh changed his mind and said, no way, we're not going to let our entire workforce, our entire labour force go and, and just leave. Uh, he rethought it. And he, they found the people of Israel camped by the sea. Now, there's a phrase, between a rock and a hard place, or between the devil and the deep blue sea, this is exactly where the, Egypt, where the Egyptians found the people of Israel. And it wasn't that they camped by the beach because they were silly. They camped by the beach because that's where God told them to camp. Exodus 14.1 says, God said camp by the sea, so they camped by the sea. I have some vague memories of what it's like camping by the sea, Maybe one day I'll do that again. But that's exactly where they were and the Egyptians found them and they looked up and saw the Egyptian army coming towards them and panic set in. This is what they said. This is Exodus 14, verse 11. They said to Moses, Was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? It's, it's a pretty dramatic statement. Were there no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? It's almost a little bit passive-aggressive in the way they're saying that. But it's, it's almost a little bit ironic too. You see, uh, actually, there really were no graves in Egypt for them to die. In Egypt, the Egyptians believed in putting your body in a tomb because you would need your body in the afterlife. But the Israelites, if they were to follow God, they believed that their body returned to the dust and ashes from whence it came. 
So there's a little bit of, there's something going on in there where they've forgotten already why they've come out into the wilderness and that is to be God's people. And they're suddenly saying, why did you leave us out here to die? The second thing they said is, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I wonder if they've forgotten what they actually thought already back then. I don't think they wanted to be serving the Egyptians. I think they wanted to be serving God, but they've already started looking to want to go back and to be where they were before. They weren't meant to be serving the Egyptians. They were meant to be serving God, and that's why they've left. And they're saying all these things to Moses, saying, what have you done? You've brought us out here to die. What have you done? We were better serving the Egyptians. And Moses has the most beautiful response, which I want to read to you now. It's from Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. And it is one of those ones that if you've got a Bible and you don't mind underlining, this is one to underline. This is one to put up on your wall. This is one to memorize. This is one to bury in your hearts and and remember and memorize. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid Stand firm and you will see the deliverance from the Lord the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. It's a great response to the people. He's basically saying to them, do not be afraid. Stand firm and be still. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and be still. In that moment where they can see that the Egyptian army is coming down upon them, Moses says to them, do not be afraid. Calm yourselves. Stand firm. Stand where you are. Don't run. Don't panic. Don't spin your wheels. And then he says, be still. Because he reminds them that God is actually going to fight for them. And then God does. There's this lovely little section in here which is probably the most well-known section of this entire story and that is when Moses turns his attention to the sea and God does a magnificent work. The pillar of cloud that had been in front of them moved behind them and God separated the light and the dark and then Moses puts his hand out and God blows a wave God blows a wind across the water and separates the water from the dry land. It sounds a little bit like the creation story. And I actually think it's meant to. It's meant to have a flavour of the creation story where God's separating the light, separating the water from the land because God is actually doing a great recreation work in this moment and he separates the sea and the people walk through into the, into the wilderness, to be recreated, to be made into be his people. I don't, want to, um, I don't want to put too much emphasis on our current state of uncertainty in our lives at the moment um, and say it's exactly the same as the people of Israel because there was, there was a different level of threat. It was a different level of catastrophe. You know, that 
But there is some things that we can learn from that story to apply to our lives today in this season of uncertainty. And I wonder what it would look like if we applied them. So this season that we're in might feel a little bit like Dr. Zeus's waiting time. I had a bit of a read of Dr. Zeus over the places you'll go. And he says, they arrived at a waiting place for people just waiting waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or a no or waiting for your hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. And it goes on and talks about all the different ways we can be waiting. It might feel a little bit like that, but gee, I really hope it's not. I hope it's not just a waiting time. I hope that this season of uncertainty is a recreating time for us with God. So I want us to think about how is it that we can make sure we don't worry about the bread. Don't worry about whether the bread has risen. If we need to be worshipping God, if we need to be giving our time and our energy to God, then we need to actually make sure that there are some things we let go of in order to hold on. I've got this image here of a rock climber <clears throat> And, and a number of years ago, I, I realised that in my life, if my, if my life were um, thought of as, as kind of rock climbing, I, I think I had one hand held firmly on God and who he said I was and what he was doing in my life. And that hand was firmly on him. But if I were to be really honest, my other hand was holding on to a whole bunch of other things in life, things um, like finances or um, you know, status or career or marriage, whatever it is. And I had my hand on those other handholds. And at some point, some of those things actually fell away and I found myself scrambling for another handhold. And I know in my head I looked over to the other hand that was holding firmly onto God. And I know that what I needed to do was swing my other hand over and put both my hands on God and who he said I was and the things that he valued and the things that he mattered. And I think sometimes we forget that and we, we try to grab hold of our charisma, our money, our potential, our career, our lives, our habits, the things that we do that fill our time. What would it look like if we actually chose to let go of those things and run to where God wants us to be holding on? What would we need to do? The, uh, the whole idea of taking some time in this season to not just say it's a waiting season, I need to hold my breath and wait for it to be over, but to actually say what if it is a wilderness season and I actually embraced it and listened for what God might want to recreate in me. You know, the idea of having a jar full of stones and um, each stone represents a different thing that's important in my life and the idea of making sure I put in the big rocks first, um, the big important ones first. This may be a season where we actually have to unpack a little bit and work out what are the big rocks in our lives that we need to prioritise. My youngest boy, Charlie, recently, he's 11, and we were talking about some of the difficulties of being in lockdown and COVID. And he said, but there's one really great thing, Mum, and that's how much time I've got to spend with you. And whilst it's been hard and exhausting and school at home and not being able to go anywhere and lockdown birthdays, there is one great shiny thing. I have, I have got to know my children in a way I would never have gotten to know them otherwise. And it's been a real blessing. What if we actually took some of those rocks out 
because this season allows us to. Uh, there's less going on and we focused on what, what are the big rocks that we need to put in. Maybe we need to leave without waiting for the bread to rise. The second thing, maybe we need to go the long way. Maybe there are things in our lives that God is teaching us over a long season. Maybe there are things that, that, he, uh, that can't be taught in a little three-day lesson. They're things that need to be taught over a really long time. Uh, and this might be a season where we actually say to God, is there something you've been trying to teach me that you've been trying to teach me for 20, 30 years? Maybe it is time for me to sit down and pay attention to those things and listen to them and think about them and bed them in my life. God doesn't actually change. He is the same yesterday, today, and he will be on into the future. He is a God that we can trust. And in a season of uncertainty, what will it look like to trust him? I think there's a great formula. Trust equals consistency over time. And God is indeed consistent over time. He's consistently teaching us, reorienting us, recreating us, making us into the people of God. The third thing, I wonder what it would look like if we listened to Moses' advice when we do panic. Because sometimes we do panic. In a season like this, we don't know exactly what will happen next. You may have lost work. You may be wondering if you're ever going to get back to school again. You may be wondering when the exams are going to be and what they're going to look like and how they're all going to play out. You might want to know whether the wedding you've got planned is actually going to happen. You might want to know when you're going to be able to see your relatives that live in another state or even across town. It is an uncertain season and it's really easy to panic a little bit. And what will it look like if we actually follow Moses' advice about fear not, stand firm and be still? I wonder if in those moments when you get a sense, and we do actually feel it physically in our bodies, when you get a sense that you are panicking about the unknown, about the uncertainty, what might you do? And you might actually need to have a think about what does it look like, what does it feel like, what does it sound like when I'm a little bit panicked, when I'm a little bit fearful and not trusting in these uncertain times. You know, you might ask yourself, am I yelling at the television? Am I getting angry at Facebook? You know, am I getting snippy at people? Am I lying awake, tossing things over in my mind throughout the night? In those moments, you might actually say, what will it look if I hear Moses' words to me saying, fear not, God is trustworthy. He's trustworthy over time and he's trustworthy in your life. Or what would it mean to stand firm, to actually um, to stop spinning in circles in this uncertain season and just stand firm and breathe and plant your feet, maybe even outside. I find that going outside and actually, you know, considering a tree and recognising how big and strong and firm it is. And then my mind thinks about the birds of the air and the passages in the Bible that talk about consider the birds of the air. They are not worried about their lives and it calms me. It calms me physically and it allows me to focus my mind on what God might be able to be saying to me. And his third piece of advice was be still. What would it look like if we actually built some stillness into our lives in these uncertain times? Um, Psalm 46 verse 10 
says, Be still and know that I am God. And, and it is written in a setting of, you know, there's, there's a lot going on. And the people are being asked to be still and remember that he's God. He's not just some, you know, quaint notion that we might be able to rely upon. He is God and he is to be relied upon and he is to be trusted. I sometimes wonder in those moments when I think about the Israelites between the, the, the sea and the Egyptian army coming, why is it that they had so quickly forgotten everything that God did to release them in Egypt? It was, it was earth-shatteringly enormous works of God that caused them to be able to be freed. And yet so quickly afterwards, they've already said, God, you know what's going on? We're going to die. Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? And I wondered, I'm not sure, but I wondered if it's because they knew that God was against the Egyptians and they knew that God was for the people sort of more broadly, but they didn't know that he was for them. And he is. And he says, fear not, stand firm and be still and know that I am God and I am for you and I am with you. And we can hold on to that as well. If there are times in your week or your day when you're not sure if God is actually there and if he's actually for you and he can be trusted, I want you to think of the image um, of, of a child walking along the wall. So my kids used to love walking along the wall. If we were on the footpath and there was a little low wall they could walk on or to walk on a, a fallen tree log, they'd want to grab hold of my hand and help and get me to help them to walk along it. But there came a time in our lives where I knew that they were capable and didn't need me to hold their hand even though they wanted me to. And I would actually sort of do this. I'd say, no, you're all right. And I'd have my hands around, but they'd go looking for my hand. And I'd say, no, no, I'm here. I'm okay. You've got this. I'm not going anywhere. I'll catch you if you fall, but you don't need me to hold your hand. You know, maybe that's what God's doing in that moment. He is saying... You're okay, I'm still here, listen for my voice, trust my presence in these moments of uncertainty. I wonder if we, if we looked at this season of uncertainty and said, what might God do in us? Because we can actually take Moses' advice for ourselves because God has done a great recreating work. God did fight for us through the person of Jesus. And he has done a mighty recreation work in our lives. And we can actually trust that he is for us and he's with us and we can hold on to him. We can take his good advice because he did indeed fight for us. On this journey of trust, I wonder if you will actually open up your hands and say, God, what might you do uh, with us in us and through us in a season of uncertainty. I've got a little picture here and I'm going to put it up. There's two little guys down the front there and one is saying, I can't wait for things to go back to normal. And the other one is saying, what if there's something new that we can go and pursue? What if there's a better way that's not going back to normal but a way forward out of this season? You know, I wonder if there are opportunities that we can think about 
if God were to do a great recreating work in us in this season of lockdown and uncertainty uh, and restrictions and different and change, what might he do in us that might create a different future, a better future, a different way forward, a better way forward? It's certainly worth considering. Over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack this story a bit more. Nick's going to drop um, a, a link into the comments. It's from the, um, from the Bible Project, and they do a really great explanation of what's going on in this whole Exodus story. It's really worth watching. Um, or you might want to go out and, um, and find the movie Exodus, Gods and Kings and watch it. A bit gruesome. If you're a kid, you might want to pick up the Prince of Egypt movie and watch it just to embellish the story and listen to what God was doing in those people in a really uncertain time. Uh, as he did a, a mighty recreation work and asked the question, how might God be recreating us in this season, this season of uncertainty? Thanks.